welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Great being here, bro. Thank you. What a joy to be here. Ruth drove down for me today, and I enjoyed the drive, but two scriptures came that I wasn't expecting. I just want to read this. He himself bore our sins in his own body, where? On the tree. That we, by faith, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed from the disease and the curse of sin. He goes on to say, this is Peter, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, for all of us unjust, that he might bring us to God. Amazing. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. I understand the beginning, the first part of that verse, better than the second part. And this morning, I just want to take a brief, brief glimpse into the inside story of the cross. You know, to view the cross from can I say the inside? It's a bit like when you go to the theater and we're in the audience and we just see the front. We just see, yes, that's happening, that's happening, that's happening, and there's a story and that's it. But behind the scenes, there are those watching, there are those directing, there are those doing the choreography, there are those managing the props, and it's all, and they see a much bigger action, if you like, of what's happening. A week ago, I was sitting with a young man, I'll call him Edward, and he began to talk to me, 30, 38 years of age, at, 20, at, 10, at 12, he began taking some sort of, sort of upper, and for 20 years, he'd been addicted to all sorts of drugs. He had been in prison six times. He had escaped from the special branch. He had guns pointed to his head. His best friend had been stabbed in front of him and died. He'd had three children from two women. Go on, go on, go on. And here he's sitting in front of me, availing of this, having availed of this, clothed and in his right mind. No longer, his appearance no longer bearing the consequences of what he went through. And he's talked about, Larry, how, how, how did he make a way? I don't know how, but he did it. And that stayed in my mind. And then going home from that time of coffee with, with Edward, I, on the car, in the car there was a song 
call Made Away. Uh, I liked it. Theologically, you could question it, but I just liked it. <laughs> Here's some of the words. Now we're here, looking back on where we've come from. Whoever thought when I was a kid I'd be in Cork and with some of my best friends in the world and all you lovely people and this theatre and you, who, who would have thought we'd, we'd be here this Sunday enjoying the presence of God and tasting some of the things to come and praying and sensing a spirit. Looking back on where we've come up, because of you and nothing we've done to deserve the love of mercy you've shown, because of you, we're standing here only because you made a way. And then it goes on and it says, when our backs were against the wall, there's a few of you here today and your backs are against the wall. Edward had his back against the wall many a time. And it looked as if it was over, you made a way, and we're standing here only because you made a way. We're going to have a look at this made a way. Like in one sense, this is a big subject. It would take weeks and volumes and everything else. But that's, that's, we're just here to remind one another of certain things and to enjoy his presence straightening us. You know, it's, it's sometimes, every so often, just, just to pause, reflect, take stock, review, quieten our mind, and how on earth did the Lord Jesus Christ make a way for me? We know, and yet we don't know. How on earth did we all get to this place today? This place, what is this? This place of experienced firsthand the love of God. And if you're not experiencing that today, you can. Without, you know, this place of the overwhelming sense of his being. I know we, we, we live in this world, this dysfunctional world, and sometimes we're living with consequence of what we've done. But through it all, his light shines. And this place of finally feeling clean, finally feeling forgiven, having clarity of direction, having that incredible, as you get older, certainly it comes more and more real, the incredible assurance of eternal life and confidence in his ability to bring us through death. It's a door. It's no longer the end. The church here has experienced a number of funerals just recently. Bereavement. You know, many years ago, I woke up one morning, and as a result of what had happened in my life, I was now transferred into another kingdom, and the transfer fee had been paid. I'd been born, they told me, again, spiritually. I'd become a follower of Jesus, and it changed the whole course of my life. At the time, I must admit, I didn't feel it all. <laughs> but I know it happened. I had a new heart, a new spirit, a new instinct. Life on another plane beckoned. And what a journey. It's been great. I felt wonderful at that time. I felt I'd come home. I felt I'd found what I'd been looking for. It was a mixture of being unburdened, relieved, slightly apprehensive, but excited. And I remember thinking, like Edward, I don't know how, but you did it. Now, for some of you here, and for many people, it can be a place of a dramatic release from dark past. For others, it's the answer to some search 
of truth or meaning of life that we've always been looking for. And some days we wonder how we ever imagined we could have life from such a source that would give us this peace, this contentment through the troubles, through situations, through the ups and downs of life. You know, someone asked me recently, uh, you know, uh, he was quite a young Christian. He said, Larry, can you, can you prophesy what's ahead for me? And I, I knew him well. I could say this to him. I said, there may be trouble ahead. <laughs> and he said, oh, really? I said, where did you get that from? John 16, 33 is what Jesus said. <laughs> oh. But I said, hang on a minute. He said, in me, you will have peace. What a source, you know, to arrive at a place where God is actually my father. I was young when I lost my father, and I, I missed him so much. And then God told me he was my father. I, I could talk to him about those things. Jesus is my friend and savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is my home. What a place. And increasingly, I look back and wonder, how on earth did we ever get here? And over the millennia, only God knows the numbers. Millions have found this place. Millions have found this person. Millions have been brought into this kingdom. Millions have felt his call, has felt the tug. And if you don't know him today, maybe online, maybe here, but you're feeling a tug, that's him. Wooing you, bringing you, inviting you in to know what Edward has found. And the song, as I said, it continues. I don't know how, but you did it. In one sense, that's true, but in another sense, it's not true. We do know how. You know, when Nicodemus, one of the most influential people in Jerusalem at the time, he was a, um, they say he was the third richest man in Jerusalem. He was a ruler of the Jews uh, but he was looking for something more because he came to Jesus by night. John chapter 3, most of you know this chapter by heart. I was speaking to 28 men last Tuesday morning and I talked about John 3.16 and only two or three had ever heard about it before. So familiarity can breed a bit of content sometimes to us and we look for the more obtuse or oblique scriptures back in the Old Testament. That's that's wonderful. But here, Nicodemus comes. He's obviously searching. And he asks three questions. And the last question, after a certain amount of interchange with the Lord, and he says, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And this morning, this inside view of the cross, the inside story of the cross, those scriptures I read that Peter wrote. For a long time, Peter wondered, how can these things be? When Jesus said, I have to go to Jerusalem and die, Peter said, no, you're not going there. You're the Messiah. You're going to free us from Rome. You're going to, you're going to kill our Goliath and be a new David. They couldn't understand why he was going to the cross. And yet, after a certain event in his life, he could write those scriptures that we've just read at the beginning. So briefly, we can know how. And the more we know how he did it, 
the more a sense of wonder comes into our lives and the more a sense of strength that we gain because as a man thinks so he is. Scripture reveals the why and the what and the when and the how. How can these things be? Turn with me to Ephesians, if you would please, to, to chapter 1. You know, uh, here's an overview. The Holy Spirit through Paul is giving us a, some idea of the wealth of God's blessings in Christ wrought by the cross. And so we've, we, we get a glimpse into this in that famous verse, chapter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. What a, what a, a treasure there. And then in the rest of the chapter, 4 to 14, he, to, he begins to define this wealth. I want you to know, rather than just a cliche verse, I want you to know about this. And then he begins to reveal, the Holy Spirit through Paul beginning to reveal, verse 15 to, four, sorry, verse 15 to 23. And then in chapter 2, he's beginning to unfold the source, the means by which this wealth and blessing comes. And this wonderful verse, chapter 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love. There's the why. That's why. That's why we're here today. That's why, why this, young, this man, Edward, could sit in front of me, calm and in his right mind and filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the why, because of his great love, which, which he loved me even when we were dead in trespasses. That's really the, our spiritual state when we're apart from Jesus Christ. And then he says this, I'm, he made us alive with Christ. He made us spiritually alive through the union with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By which, for the first time, we become alive and sensitive to God, by which for the first time we begin to understand Scripture, truth, and have a desire for spiritual truth. It's wonderful. And then he says, by grace you have been saved. And the song said, nothing we've done to deserve it, the love and the mercy you've shown. You know, there are numbers we never forget, like our phone number, or the day we're born, and if you've if, if you can't remember those, well, you have problems. But anyway, pin numbers. Sometimes I s stop to fill up my car with pen, and I put in my AIB pin number, and I go, oh, it's the wrong number, and I have to... We should remember. There are some numbers we never forget. 9-11, if you're over the age of 25, 30, you will always remember 9-11. 007. You'll all, ah, yes. If you're a historian, 1066. What happened in 1066. Battle of Hastings. If you're an Irish, 1916, something happened then. My mother, I remember in our, on our, her dressing table, she had this, this array of perfumes and talcs and everything, and it was 4711. What a crazy name. And it's still there. In fact, there's a male version of it, Nick, so you're okay for Christmas, Catherine, right? 4711. What a crazy... But apparently... The guy who started this perfumery over 200 years ago, that was simply 
the number of his house. <laughs> and he said, oh, God. He was in Paris. Oh, I'll call this for 7-Eleven. And it took off. Numbers. Interesting. Well, what have I said 316 to you? There was a man in Croke Park. He used to stand in the 90s and the noughties, and he had a banner. 316. And then he stuck in John in front of it. John 316. He did it for 20 years. And, 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 and I, I'm, maybe we will meet, we will meet him one day. And you know what 316, John 316 is. And it's, it's, it, it is, this, is, this is the why. And it's, it's parallel to these verses that we've read. And I just, I return to John 316 as I'm thinking of this marvelous work that God did in his son when he allowed him to be crucified. And he says, I'm going to say it, for God so loved the world. Remember, this is the why. That he, he loved the world. He had his own world. He had countless angelic beings for company. He had the incomprehensible and unimaginable companionship and unity of the community of the Godhead. We can barely imagine what that was like. But he had this plan and purpose. He had a longing to rescue and redeem the world. That's very briefly the why. And then here we get what he did. He gave his only son, his only unique, uncreated son. So the brief answer is, why and the what? Because of the love of God is summarized in this verse. It's been said John 3.16 is the magnifying glass of God's love for mankind. The closer you look, the more you see. And if there was one verse that summarized the heart of the Bible and the reason for Calvary, the why and the what, this probably would be the verse. It mirrors what we read in Ephesians 2. You know, I changed a door a while ago, and a hinge is quite small, and it could be a very big door, and a, and a hinge holds it. These are hinge things in our spiritual life. This is what other things swing on. This is why it's good just to be reminded of it. We drove one through Arizona, and, uh, and as you pass through some of the towns, they have these little stalls, and it's kind of a, uh, it's a mineral show, and they have these baskets of rocks, of crystals, and, and people stop, and they buy them. I suppose they polish them, put them on the coffee table, uh, uh, or whatever. And one day, a precious stone expert just was passing through, went in for a cup of coffee, thought he'd have a look around these stones and rocks, and he passed one stall, and in a basket, he noticed this blue-violet stone that was the size and shape of a potato. He picked it up, he looked it open, he looked it over, and his heart began to beat. And he put on a bit of an act, and he said to the vendor, it was late in the afternoon, he said, hey man, do you really want $30 for this? And the seller realizing that it was late in the day and the rock wasn't as pretty as the others in the bin and he lowered the price to 20 bucks. And the guy, he took it away shaking because it was like he'd won the lotto. And that stone, if you're interested, was certified as a 1900 carat natural star sapphire, about 1800 carats larger than the largest stone of its kind. And it went on to be valued just under $3 million. 
Why am I telling you this? Because it took the lover of stones to recognize the worth of the rock. And it took the lover of souls for God so loved the world to recognize the true value of ordinary looking people like you and me. We, we live a brief time in, in, in comparison to eternity here on this earth. Very brief time. We're just passing through. As soon as possible, I want people to know the love of God and the, the, the kingdom that he's brought into it. It's not just a bit of a bless me today and help me through. Yes, he does that. But actually, there's a future ahead, way beyond the grave, way on into eternity, that he's, he's, he's now, he's collecting precious stones. He sees the value of you. In John 3.16, there's something about this love. I'm still thinking about it. That sets it apart from any other love. It's expressive in its action. Have you ever had conversations with people and they've been somewhere and they said, it was so cool. It was so amazing. It was so extraordinary. And I said, oh yeah, you liked it then. Ah, oh, yeah. It, 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 he says here, it's so, he's so loved. It's expressive love. It's expressive. Today, did you feel his expression? I love you. Whom? Yeah, he loves us. He loved the world. You know, it's universal in its offer. Oh, I feel excluded. No, you're not. You know, it wasn't just to well-bred religious people that he was saying this. It's expensive in its sacrifice, this love is. It cost him this. Uh, it was such, we have a reflection on it when we're close to people and we love people and they die or they go away and we feel the Lord. Think of what it was. Son, will you go? Yes, Father, I will go. Do you know what's ahead? Yes. We'll make a covenant in the Godhead. I will go there. They're precious to you, Father. They're precious to me. And son, this is how it has to be done, I know. They're that lost. They're that far away. It's effective in its offer, whosoever. <laughs> there may be a whosoever listening in today. This is for you. Whosoever. And it's exceptional in its work. It says, you shall not perish. That's wonderful. Who wants to perish? And that doesn't mean annihilation. But it's, you're not perishing. You're not going to perish in a final destiny of ruin and in an eternal life separated from God in darkness. What an existence. It's eternal in its scope. This is his love. Have everlasting life. This is big picture stuff. But this is the discovery of the greatest certainty. We, I was down for Tony's funeral. I was sitting over there. I couldn't keep my joy. I said, this is a funeral. And then Ruth got up and she smiled. Joyce. It's, it's age, but I'm okay. And she smiled and I said, oh Lord, because I sensed his smile. I was with a friend. He's older than me. I knew him 45 years ago and, 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 and he's, he's, him and his wife were so close. They... They, they would do all, he was a biker, he was slightly 
you know, off a little bit out there, random. He, he would write, write from a guild magazine. He would write, he, he would lecture. He was an engineer. He'd mend cars. He could do everything. His name was George. He was from the north. She was from Dublin. It was a real romance. They had, I don't know, they kept having children, five, six, seven children. And after 52 years of marriage, she died. And I'm seeing him two years after. M met him, another coffee. And I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm okay now. But he said, I tell you, for a year, he said, I couldn't handle it. I missed her so much. And he said, I know this is theologically completely incorrect, but he said, I was so desperate. And this is a man on Far From the Lord. He's an evangelist. And he, he rides with the bikers still. Do you know the, the Christian bikers? He's, and he said, uh, I start to ask God, I said, Father, is there any chance that she could come back? And now that sounds a bit, but, but, but the way he said it, and I said, what? oh, he said, I just was so, he said, I didn't want to live. And then he said, I had a dream. Now, I don't know what you think about this dream, Larry. It's a bit, I haven't shared this with anyone, but he said, what do you think? He said, in the dream, he said, I was, there was this big red telephone Massive, old type of telephone, he said. And I'm picking it up, and I'm talking to God. And I'm sort of, the coffee up here, and I just put it down, because he was so fervent. And, I, and he said, I said, God, Father, you know I've, I'm your child. And he said, is there any chance? And he says his wife's name could come back to me. And God said, Okay, George, hold on a minute. And he hears, this is his dream. And he hears, and he says her name, do you want to go back to earth? And he says, Larry, as clear as crystal in her Dublin accent, I hear a bit distance as someone that he hears them both. And she said, you must be joking. Now, I, 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 don't, like, I don't validate this dream or anything, but I know, he said, Larry, he said, it set me free. And it made me realize this eternity with him. You know, the head of the Bible Society in Zimbabwe, one day he tried to he had these New Testaments that had just come in. They'd been printed, very thin paper. And he was to give them out in the streets in Harare. And, and this very belligerent man came up to him. And uh, he said, would you like a New Testament, sir? And, and the man, he said, ah, what's this? Man? And he took it, and he liked the feel of it. And he said, okay. But he said, uh, I'm going to use this to roll up my joints. It's nice thin paper. And the guy was sort of offended by this. This is God's word. But he felt saying, okay, I will let you have it, but will you promise to read that page before you smoke it? And the man agreed. The two went their separate ways. Fifteen years later, they met at a convention in Harare. And the scripture-smoking pagan had changed, and he was now a full-time street preacher. And he told the audience, he said, I smoked Matthew, I smoked Mark, I smoked through Luke, 
I started smoking through John. When I came to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke anymore. <laughs> and when I read this, something happened. Some light went on in my head, and consequently, it changed my life. I don't know how you did, but you did it. Okay, I think we understand this. I think if you've become a Christian, we understand the why and the what. He so loved that he gave. But when and how, on what basis did he actually make us alive in Christ? On what basis did he actually clear the way and the barrier? And this is why I call it the inside story of the cross. When he died on the cross, it was an unspeakable tragedy to his family, his friends, his followers. They just thought everything had gone. Even at the moment of his resurrection, no one sensed the awesome power that God had worked, or that old English word, wrought, in the unseen world. His disciples so disappointed they were reluctant, some were heading towards Emmaus. Even on the very day of resurrection, they were heading back home. It's recorded, Luke 24, I think they were so disappointed, we had hoped. But behind the scenes, everything changed forever. That's why we're here, folks. Two millennia later. And so later... Paul wrote, also in Ephesians, I will read it to you, it's 120, God worked in Christ. He literally brought about something that was operative in him that hadn't been operative before. He brought in Christ by which God made him come back from the dead, gave him a place at the right hand in heaven. And then it says, when he raised him from the dead. And it takes time to understand. I'm still on probably the introductory of the inside story of the cross. So as we know, his death on the cross is the how, and his resurrection is the when. Even as we're saying this together, hearing it now, there's a sense in the spirit of God coming on that basis to some hearts that don't know him. Because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. So if someone's on your heart right now who doesn't know him, who's struggling, who's maybe fallen, we can say, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. He obtained this forgiveness, this redemption. He broke the power of sin, Satan, death. Angels saw it and worshipped. Demons saw it and fled in confusion. Why hadn't they seen it before? Why hadn't they seen it coming? They should have, in one sense. Am I, I say 25 past 12, that's in a quarter to one, what's right? The 25, oh good. Good for me. How about you? <laughs> 
We were, we were at a, a three-hour prayer and praise meeting last night. And I'm thinking for the first hour, I have to get up and go to Cork tomorrow. But I tell you, as we entered into the second and third hour, I didn't care. It doesn't mean I didn't care about coming here. I didn't care what time. <laughs> Depends how hungry we are. I want to know more about this unseen story of the cross. Because there's where the power is. There's where the source of everything is. When he raised him from the dead. But you know, it had been flagged for a thousand years beforehand. I looked it up. There's 456 passages in the Old Testament that Jewish rabbis historically have interpreted as being about the Messiah. And the prophecies about the cross are as prominent in the Old Testament as these prophecies about the Messiah. It's been flagged. It's been foreseen. They pierced my hands and my feet, Psalm 22. What on earth is he talking about? Crucifixion hadn't even been invented. The Romans invented it to, to keep all their slave population in check. It was such a horrible way to die that they were reluctant to resurrect or abandon or flee their masters. But there it is, connected to the coming Messiah. Another, I'm just picking out one or two. Psalm 34 says, no bones were broken. And yet, in that time it was written, the way of execution was by stoning, by breaking their bones. And as you go through, you can start in Genesis 3 and work all the way forward. It's been flagged. There's coming a Messiah. His, his heel will be bruised, but he'll crush the serpent's skull at a place called a skull. Think of Joseph. Jacob's son, his life prophetically mirrors the events of the cross. Think of Isaiah 53. Think of the time that God is moving a nation out of the land of death, symbolically to us, but very real to them, into a land of life. And what's their way out? Moses, get a spotless lamb, shed its blood and put it on the door. Oh, it just mirrors the lamb of God, the spiritually. We're in something greater than we realize. <laughs> so when we pray, pray with people, yes, we say, Lord, in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and this power of the Lamb, of God, and its shared blood, it never fails. All these prophecies, they dealt with the events surrounding the crucifixion including his betrayal, his trial, his death, um, burial. They were, they were uttered by many different voices over a period of about a thousand years. And yet, they were all fulfilled on the day that he died for the sins of the world. It's almost as if they all came together. It's no wonder uh, there were angelic appearances. Almost like, no, no, keep back, guys. But they kept coming forward. Rocks were crushed. They, they said around Jerusalem, some resurrected earlier. They resurrected early. They weren't supposed, but they came. He could, hardly could contain them. And that curtain, that, that symbolic, that you can't get in to the Holy of Holies from top to bottom, boom, and a way was made. I don't know how, but you did it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mercy and truth met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed.
Do you know his kiss today? And he's able to do it. And the groundwork about the cross was vital so that every believer could, could grasp this. And yet at the time, they were blind to it. And so many people today are blind to it. And as foolish as it may sound, there is an immeasurable power on the cross to forgive sins, to cleanse the heart, to make possible that we can be indwelt by a holy, loving God. What a miracle. This is his amazing wisdom and provision for a fallen world. Okay, Thank you, Father, I understand that. But, but when did those men and women, the 120, when, when did it dawn on them? When did they realize that 40, 50 days earlier they'd been trying to prevent the cross, that them going to the cross, that it was an utter tragedy, that they were in hiding and some were walking away? When did it happen to them? Well, it happened to them when one of the greatest prophecies regarding the Messiah was fulfilled. And this prophecy was spoken and recorded by who Jesus says was the greatest of all of the Old Testament prophets. And yet he did no miracle that's recorded. His name was John the Baptist. And he prophesied, he said, he will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. He will immerse you. He will soak you. It's a once-off, it's a continuing. Of course, we've made it into neat sort of doctrines and signs and all this. But can I just say it's so much bigger. So it was on the day of Pentecost when these men changed, these women changed, Peter changed, and he was able to write those, preach those things I've read at the beginning. Up to then, they had little idea what Jesus had been talking about, going to Jerusalem and put to death. But they became the first, if I put it this way, human witnesses to the inside story of the cross to the real meaning of what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and its effect had. They saw this from, if you like, the inside. Oh, you moved this around, and, you're and, oh, yeah, and all the prophecies that they had ignored or forgotten, they all saw them. Props moved into place, choreography, it was all happening. Now, I'm not saying we need to understand all that. Speaking with Edward two weeks ago, he probably hadn't a clue of all that, but he says, I don't know how, but it's happened. He's made a way. But that doesn't mean we don't have to come into a greater understanding and, and knowledge of these things. It also, it, it, it was like John 16, 13 happened before their eyes. John 16, 13 says, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's what happened. The Holy Spirit universally poured out on the day of Pentecost. First time universally, although obviously the Holy Spirit always been being active on the earth, coming upon people. In fact, it's recorded he came into some of people. Of course it was. But in terms of a universal pouring out, whosoever, the way it had been made. He will 
guide you into all truth. So this means, really, that every generation of Christians can have the same revelation, freshness of understanding as if they had been there on that day and I witnessed it to those events. Isn't it marvelous? So our children and our grandchildren can know these things. And this New Testament truth can be discovered in all its power by peoples from every nation in every century. No one's excluded. You made a way. I appreciate probably most of us here we know these things. But when Peter wrote one of his epistles, he says four times, I want to remind you of these things. I want to remind you. I want to rem- I, when I spoke with Edward the week before last, I was reminded of these things. When he said, I don't know how, but he did it. <laughs> I was reminded of this. I was stirred that the world changed forever over those 40, 50 days when Christ died, rose again, and sent the Holy Spirit. So I'm wondering if, um, if Isaac and whoever could come up. And we're going to sing, He is Alpha and Omega together. Enjoy. Enjoy the, the source that he's brought us into. And we don't have to be great theologians and, and know the full inside story of the cross, but it's good to have that veil drawn and have a look in. Wow. It's like the first time and only time we saw the Grand Canyon, and we went, wow. It was so deep, so long, so high. But I tell you, the Grand Canyon, just like a hole in the road compared to this. We don't have to understand it all, but we do If you haven't, you can yield to him. If your Lord, life hasn't worked out. We we know of a dear couple, they're older than us. They kind of have been, we've we've been so helped by them in in our Christian life. They live in South Wales. He's dying. She's a preacher, but she can't preach anymore. She's looking after him. And she said, we visited them. And she said this, she said, Larry, sometimes life is the art of coping with what you didn't expect. But then as we prayed and as we sang and had fellowship together, she had this resurrection life. That circumstance of caring for her husband and all that that meant, this life was greater. So it's not dependent on how you feel today, folks. It's dependent on how, why, what, when that he did. Let's enjoy that today as we sing. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.